What is up, golf fans? We are back with another week of PGA. It's been a minute. I've missed you all. I've missed golf. The Ryder Cup was fun, but let's be real. It wasn't as fun for DraftKings and gambling as much as it was just fun to watch. Right? We need to get back to the action, and that's what we're doing this week. We're going to the finest golf course east of the Mississippi, uh, Sanderson Farms. Um, a fun fact about Sanderson Farms is that the one of the hazards is you actually have to hit it over a whole group of cows on the 19th hole. That's a complete joke. It's not really, I don't think it's really a farm. I hope it's not. Uh, but it should be a fun event. Uh, this is one of those tournaments that I like to call a JV tournament. Uh, you're not going to get all the big names this week that we that we normally get. Um, so it's, it's, it's good for us, you know, for the folks who are watching podcasts and are able to get an edge finding some of the sharper plays. I think you get a little bit more of an edge doing that on a week like this than you would when, you know, all the best golfers in the world are playing. So... Without further ado, I'm, I'm joined by my trusted co-hosts, Sia Najad and Spencer Aguiar. Uh, Sia, how you doing tonight? I'm good, man. I, I am excited, like you, to like have some normalcy with golf, so that we have an actual cut, an, an actual full field. I mean, we've we had like the Fortinet kind of like peppered in there, but it's been you know the Ryder Cup and then the the, the FedEx Cup playoffs. It just hasn't really felt normal. So, we Spencer and I were talking pre-show, like it's every day's busy. Because we're, we're all, like, Joel, you do college football. By the way, great show on Friday nights. Uh, Spencer, you, I know you do stuff with Roto Baller. You do stuff with Wind Daily Sports. You're doing stuff with Be The Number Pod. And then on top of that, we've got, like, NFL, you know, that we're doing as well. And so, like, every day there's something to do. So it's it's kind of exciting. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy time, but it's an exciting time. And honestly, to have, like, a regular sort of, like, golf schedule back just is, like, the icing on the cake. I, I love it. You know, I want to just jump in. That's a really good point you made i do often find myself saying during this season i'll be walking around building lineups just saying it's the most wonderful time because you're right it's like you know normally early in the year we're doing just golf and there's nothing else going on we're not really playing anything else and then you know later in the year it's just going to be football and we won't be able to golf. right now is the only time where it's like hey we're able to be constantly be playing which you know for us obviously we love it right it's, it's a fun hobby so um it's it's hard to get any better than this spencer talk to me man how you doing tonight I'm doing well also. And yeah, as Sia said, Joel, great college football show you have going on. Everybody needs to go check that out for Win Daily Sports. But uh, yeah, Sia and I were talking off air a little bit. And, you know, it's just nice to have these full field golf tournaments back. Uh, and as the year keeps going on with this, like I'm such an analytical person with the way I do things. So we have a lot of these corn fairy guys that I did not have a whole ton of information on to begin you know, now we have one week of information, but as the weeks keep going on, we're going to see like what these guys really are as players. And that's what excites me about it is kind of trying to figure out where I can be ahead of the market on some of these players, where I can find an edge. And uh, I spent all last week rebuilding my model for this new season. So I'm excited to get things going and I'm excited to have a full field again. I'm, I'm excited to hear what your uh, breakdown is. So uh, I know as and if you haven't heard before, if you're new to our show, We'll try to give a bit of a breakdown for the course, um, kind of what stats or metrics are most important each week for, for this course. And then, you know, we'll give you some of our plays, but that should help you kind of narrow down who you want to play. And, you know, for me, you know, what I'm looking at is driving distance. Um, I think obviously approach is going to be priority every week. So nothing changes there. Uh, maybe I think we want guys who can putt. I don't think uh, for me, the guys like Doug Gim, who are, you know, notoriously poor putters are, are guys to avoid for me this week, but uh, as I, I've mentioned before, Spencer has the best breakdown, the most detailed breakdown each course of how much he's waiting, what metrics, and, and for what reason. So I'm excited to uh, to hear what you're looking at this week, Spencer. Talk to me. Yeah, I appreciate that introduction with that. So we have the Country Club of Jackson. It's a rather unique venue to try and handicap from a DFS or gambling perspective. It was originally designed by Donald Ross. It's 18-hole layout uh, that's used for the event with it. And it got changed by John Fott and Mike Gogol in 2008. But one of the things they did is they kept a lot of the Ross principles that you would still expect to see from a course like him. So players will be required to work the ball both ways with dog legs going left and right. And the positioning and undulation of the greens will force golfers to hit shots to the correct side of the fairways. And the undulation of the greens is kind of the Ross staple of what you always get from him. But uh, I want to preface this 
for my breakdown before I start doing it. This has been a difficult course for me to figure out in the past. I think there's some answers in front of us. One being that the rough isn't penal and distance off the tee, as you mentioned, Joel, is going to benefit players if you can hit the ball long. But we unfortunately start running into some problems from there. Uh, Putting has been very impactful on deciding the winner. And that isn't going to make a ton of sense in modeling when the past three champions were all ranked outside of the top 100 last season in putting. On top of that, the two biggest differentials when looking at approach shot distribution here versus tour average have come from 100 to 125 yards and 125 to 150 yards. The problem with that, though, is when diving a little deeper into the numbers, Garcia, Munoz, and Champ have been some of the worst players from that distance. I mean, I guess Munoz isn't quite as bad, but Garcia's 92nd from 100 to 125 in the year he won, 144th from 125 to 150. As I said, Munoz has been a little bit better, 61st and 29th from those two ranges. And then Champ was has been awful in that range, ranking 187th and 173rd. So aberrational results are going to happen. But to me, the lack of historical production from those two ranges from the winners piqued my curiosity that more important shots might be coming elsewhere. And part of the reason for that is too, is because my models are just not working these last couple of years. Like I'm running these models, trying to look for putting. I'm running these models, trying to look for proximity from hundred to 150 yards. And like, I'm getting completely washed away in this tournament. So I figure, you know, you have to do something different. It's insanity to do the same thing over and over again. So I did a deep dive into it. And the one thing I noticed is the last five winners have combined to be 97 under par during their wins. That's going to highlight a birdie fest, but what it doesn't tell you is where the scoring is actually coming from. So when I looked into that, I think I found the answer for what is needed here more than anything else. 47.5% of the 97 under total has been on the four par fives and an additional 11.5% has come from the singular short par four 15th, which includes Cody Gribble skewing the data by playing it even throughout the four days. So that's 59% of the winning scores coming at those five holes projections would suggest that the average golfer is only birding them 33.68% of the time. So that's giving us a massive disparity when looking at winners and those that barely make the cut. So I built a model to try and highlight those five must have holes and came up with the following. I have proximity from 200 plus yards for 20%. That will lead me into my next category also, but the real scoring chances seem to be coming here for those that can control their long irons. I have par five birdie or better percentage for 25%. As I mentioned, 47.5% of the winning totals are coming here. I have short par four efficiency for seven and a half percent. That takes the par four 15th and even a little of the par four first. I didn't include that first hole into any of the metrics that I ran, but the ability to play shorter par fours will be critical. I have total driving distance, which is an 80-20 split between distance over accuracy for 17 and a half percent. The rough is virtually non-existent and guys like Champ and Garcia were able to destroy this place off the tee. And then I wrapped it up with 10% each on GIR percentage, strokes gain total on Donald Ross courses, and overall birdie or better percentage. Well, there you go. I promise you get an in-depth breakdown, and that certainly is what we got there. Uh, I think I think the way you broke that down was really helpful, kind of getting an understanding of maybe where you saw some misses previously and how you're going to upgrade and improve this year. And I really like that. And uh, I find that really insightful to hear um, what holes that people are, are birdying and, and scoring well on. So those are the holes that we're going to need to find guys who can find success at. So I love it. Thank you, Spencer. Uh, I mean, I mean, Joel, Joel, that was so beautiful. Like <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, I, I mean, you're just not going to get, especially for this particular tournament where it's kind of all over the place. The fact that you dug a little bit deeper and figured out maybe a, a, a different way to look at it, uh, I just, I, I'm so impressed. And, and that, that segues nicely into, into the following thing I want to say before Joel, we get into the the players. So Spencer has, you know, sort of, he's all he's super busy with golf in a lot of different places, but. Spencer, you're going to join Win Daily, like at least a little bit more, like in our Discord, and I think you might be publishing a weekly article. So I put that in our in our Discord about an hour ago, and honestly, I haven't seen the responses, but I know everybody really values not just your model, but just like all of your input, your betting advice, and all that. So I just wanted you to know we're, we're as a Win as the Win Daily team. You know, we you were already sort of in our kind of in our hemisphere as it was but just you being you know under our tent we we appreciate you so uh i'm, I'm happy to have you on board man 
Well, I really appreciate everything from both of you guys. Obviously, stick picks with everything that he's done. Uh, Jason Mizrahi, like you guys have taken me in as part of your group with it. So I just want to thank you guys, you know, Joel and Sia. It's a pleasure doing the show with you guys every single week. And I look forward to talking to everybody in the Discord and, and discussing some plays. And yeah, as you mentioned, I'm going to be writing an article. I will highlight some of my favorite DraftKings plays for the week. Uh, it's going to go up on Wednesdays every single week for it. So yeah, thank you guys again. And I look forward to speaking with everybody a little bit more. Well, we're, we're glad to have you, man. You just make not just us, our show, but all of Win Daily a little bit better. So um, Sia, talk to me. What are you looking at this week? I mean, as far as metrics, uh, first of all, the, the par five scoring really speaks to me. I mean, I, I think... I think that I would have assumed that to some degree, especially since longer hitters are going to be better here. But I really like how Spencer broke it down. So, I mean, honestly, I'm really looking for driving distance here more than anything. You know, it's interesting, though, from a putting standpoint, the the fact that so many bad putters have succeeded here kind of makes me just kind of neutral on putting in general. So I am actually willing to accept guys and maybe it's because the greens are, are just very just very easy to navigate here but I, i'm very willing to play guys that, that maybe i wouldn't have otherwise played at other courses because they are such poor putters like your sergio garcia's for example who was the defending champion if kyle stanley was in this field i'd consider him you know doug Ginn maybe is a guy like you said joel that i'd consider so um Driving distance, certainly um, good drives, birdie or better gained. Um, those proximities between 75 and like 125, maybe up to 150. That's going to be a big chunk of it. But, you know, that's that's pretty much it outside of obviously everything I'm going to have to reincorporate after hearing Spencer. I love it. Well, then while we're there, let's get right into it. Right. We'll, we'll jump right into things. Um, I know there's a few comments, so. Uh, we can we can look and yes, we Spencer's picked out. <laughs> you know, you need to do it. Luckily, um, you don't just have to be watching live. You can always watch back. So once you hit the like button, right? Make sure you do that. Don't forget. Um, then you can just go back and rewatch and then re-memorize what Spencer wrote down so you know exactly what you need and the information. Because to be honest with you, it's gonna be hard to remember all that off the top of your head. There was a lot of good stuff in there. So Hit the like button. That was really the main point of my message. And then you can go back and, and listen to that whole breakdown. But with that being said, let's dive in right at the top. Uh, Sia, you want to kick us off at the top range? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, okay. The way pricing is, I, I for me, I built a few lineups. I think you can grab a guy up here for sure. And and you're, you're okay, you know, crafting the rest of your lineups. But because I really want to live in the 9K range, and I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about the 9K range than this 10K and above range, I'm only going to going to address two golfers that I like. Sam Burns is one of them because I'm I'm just going to really try to focus on upside here. So as expensive as he is, I do think he has the best upside out of this top tier group. Uh, and then the, the sort of the second place silver medal guy for me is probably Sung J.M. Uh, I, I like, first of all, I, I like Sung J's history here. Um uh, you know, I could say the same about Sergio Garcia, but Sungjae, 28th in 2021, second in 2020, missed cut in 2019. I just like how he's playing in general. I think I think we're I think we're about to see sort of a bounce back, more consistency from him. And then Sam Burns, I I don't really his history is pretty good. Missed cut in 2021, but in 2019 he was third. But this guy is firing on all cylinders right now. So I have no hesitation, kind of like overpaying, if you will, for for a top. Uh, priced Sam Burns. I like Will Zalatoris and Sergio too, but I can't take everybody. So I might sprinkle a little Zalatoris, a little Garcia, but Sam Burns and Sungjae are the guys that I'm I'm looking at. I like it. I like it. Spencer, how about you? Who are you looking at up here? Yeah. I mean, as I've mentioned on this show many times, I have my own database of stats that I go through weekly and, and recalibrate all the information I just said from the course breakdown to try to, you know, figure out the players I like for the week. I add in current form, uh, I, I look at all the history at the course, as I said, but I'm essentially trying to build a blueprint for golfers that are most likely to find success at that particular venue. And I worded in that context because sometimes you get weeks like this where the pricing is virtually spot on at the top of the board. I think you could nitpick some of these players being a spot higher or lower, but like Sergio Garcia, Will Zalatoris, Sung JM, Sam Burns, they were the four top four golfers in my model, uh, just like we have with the pricing. And when we get slates like that, where the cream rises to the top, uh, I am kind of willing to take a different approach than what Sia said. I don't mind leveraging my builds in a boom or bust fashion where I go more top heavy there 
and try to round things out near the bottom of the board. Um, I think you'll notice that in the 7K range. Like, I don't have a ton of players there. I have a lot of 6K golfers I like. But if we run through some of these guys just with some general thoughts. Sam Burns at 11,000. He's the number one golfer in my model when looking for safety. He's eighth for upside. I prefer using him probably in cash games or single entry builds versus large MMEs because of that negative distribution. But as he has said, I mean, the game's clicking for him right now. His birding making skills should go nicely with everything. And um, it's hard to say anything bad about any of these guys. So this isn't meant to be like any of these guys are playable. But I think for me, Burns is probably more so in that range. Will Zalatoris at 10,800. His ownership's been starting to rise throughout the week, but it's easy to understand why. Uh, I realize he missed the cut here last season, but Country Club of Jackson has some of the worst rollover effects from season to season, meaning we don't see the same golfers consistently perform year in and year out. Uh, Sergio Garcia at 10,500 is currently projected to be the lowest owned golfer in this range by about 6%. The reduction in ownership is 100% coming because of a worry that he might be suffering a hangover from the effect uh, of Europe losing the Ryder Cup. But I think that makes him a super intriguing target for those playing large field MME type contests. Give me the guy that has proven he can win here, especially when everyone is off of him because he played golf last week. Like that viewpoint <laughs> doesn't exactly make sense. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with what uh, you said, see about Sung Jay. Like, I feel like I come on this show every single week and mention Sung Jay. And now we actually have more of a reason to it's on Bermuda. He's a Bermuda specialist. We're going to see a boost in ownership because of that. But He's averaged 2.4 shots gained per event with his irons over his last nine. And he also ranks inside the top 25 of my model in proximity from 200 plus yards, par five birdie or better, overall birdie or better, short par four efficiency, and strokes gained total on Donald Ross. And then I guess the outlier for me here would be Corey Connors at 10,100, who ranks ninth in my model. I'll find myself underweight Tim in GPPs because of a mixture of what is above him and his current ownership projection that is roughly 20%. But as I said, it's hard for me to say anything substantially negative about any of these guys. If you force me to power rank the group, I would probably say Zalatoris and M are my two preferred targets targets across all contests. Uh, I think Sergio's playable in MMEs and Burns and Connors will be more of a cash or single entry play. But as you said, Sia, you can't play everybody here. So you're going to have to make decisions to how you want to distribute it. And for me, it's going to be more of Zalatoris and M than anything else. I think, Spencer, you made a really good point. It's funny how narratives can shape how people think like i want to go back to sergio three months ago they play every week there's no break yeah. there's no they just because there's recently been a little bit of a break they're used to playing every week so there's playing golf like we should mean nothing and not only that sergio's used to i mean sergio doesn't win every tournament so like yeah and he usually loses himself he had a team lose it wasn't he wasn't the sole loser last week there was a whole team of he was people. good he was he played great, which makes me think, well, he played well. So now he gets to just use his own game that was playing well and transfer that here. So um, I actually have a bit of a tip, different take though at this top tier than you guys. I'm almost probably I probably might not the only guy I'm considering playing in the top tier is Sergio because of ownership, because it does look to be the lowest owned. And as everyone knows, I'm a mainly you know GPP type player. So um Sergio is the only guy who I think has been playing well coming in here at low ownership. I like. But my main strategy or theory for this is um, in these JV type tournaments, there's a I think there's a smaller gap between the top and the and the middle tier than there would be when you know Rom and you know JT and all those guys play. So right now I don't feel like I need to pay up. I can find a more balanced lineup of six golfers, in my opinion, you know, in the eight and nine K range, and I can kind of just fade this. And I don't feel like there's gonna be a big difference. So maybe I'll throw Sergio into a few lineups because of ownership, but other than that. I don't plan to be too heavy on any of these guys uh, in this top range. Um, by the way, Joel, I'm totally with you on that. I, I'm going to start probably at least 50% of my lineups in the 9K range. So I, I definitely, because I love Sam Burns upside, I definitely want to grab a, a share or two of him, a share or two of Sung JM. I mean, and I say a share or two, you know, everybody knows I'm a single entry guy. I'm not like mass entering, you know, 150. So a share or two actually kind of means a share or two. I'll probably this week, I'll probably build somewhere between 15 and 20 lineups. And I would say if I built, let's say I build 16, um, eight of them will probably start with Sam Burns or Sung Jam or somebody in this top tier, but the other eight will definitely start in the 9K range. So I have no issue starting um, in that range. Can I say one thing to that just really quickly? Because I mean, I agree with like the template of what you guys are saying. Like, I think it makes logical sense. Uh, the one, I guess, uh, thing that I will say just a little bit differently 
yes, Joel, you're correct that the ownership is very flocking to this area with it. But I think that you can get unique. Now, if you think that there's not a big difference, then I mean, that's a completely different point here. But uh, with the way that my model's spitting it out and saying that these guys are substantially better, and I think these guys you know, are grading that way. If you pair two of them together, I think you all of a sudden start building uh, something that's a little bit unique and different from everybody else. So, cause I, when we look at it, the most popular starts are probably going to be Mito Pereira and Corey Connors, Mito Pereira, Sung J M. Now, if you start with Mito Pereira, you kind of go that opposite route where you can do what you guys are saying with this. But I think if you skip the Mito thing, which I like Mito this week. I don't want to say that I don't, but if you start with like Sungjae and Zalatoris, I think you all of a sudden get a very diff- different build for some of these MME contests also. Yeah, and Spencer, I think, you know, the way you lay that out conceptually, and I know it's going to be weird to say this, is actually similar to what I'm saying because if you do take two of those guys, right, what you're saying is then I can build a balanced lineup with the lower tier guys with the same concept, saying there's probably not as big of a drop once you go down there, so I can even it out that way. So it's just how you're looking at the field, right? If you're looking at the mid-tier, you want to go bounce that way, that's fine. Or if you're looking at like Spencer, he really likes this top tier and he's saying, I'm not going to be that much of a drop-off from the 7K range to some of the guys I need to get to balance that out so I can do it that way. So either way, I can I can totally get around to whatever strategy you're, you're putting forward. Yeah, and I, and I think that makes a lot of logical sense with what you're saying. And that's kind of exactly what I'm looking at this week. Like, I don't see any difference between the $7,000 golfers and these guys in the mid 6,000. So like, that's where I'm trying to attack in that range. And I think it's, we're saying the same thing while saying different things. So uh, it's the same concept, just uh, laid out a little differently. I totally get what you're saying. I just hope the listeners do too, but I'm on board. (laughs) The overarching point is that in these quote birdie fests, almost everybody's in play. So if there's likely to be a grouping in, uh, in a lower tier that, absolutely could be there on Sunday, you know, Sunday afternoon or could finish in the top 10. So yeah, I think both of the strategies work. I think the point is, you know, while Spencer likes these elite guys and I do too, and I do think Spencer, it's a really good point about a unique build because I don't think people will build with two guys, 10 K or above. But the, the point is it wouldn't shock any of us if all the 10 K guys on Sunday are you know, kind of middling, you know, they're, they're kind of there, but they're not really in contention. And it's the 9K guys or a bunch of the 8K guys that are actually in the top. Because a course like this, it sort of caters to a lot of different types of skill sets being able to take it down. Totally. Yeah. Yep. All right. I love it. I love it. Let's go down. Let's drop down to that 9K range. I'll even, I'll kick us off here. Um, I think the 9K range is interesting. I think going into the week, I was, I think one of the first names that interested me was Mito. Um, at the ownership that's starting to come up, I'm happy to fade. So, uh, and I think if Sia wants to go back to his, uh, what was the segment we used to do? The ownership, yes or no? Oh segment. yeah, the um, good chalk, bad chalk. Good chalk, bad chalk. Yeah. Wouldn't go back to that. I think for me right now, he would be bad chalk because the ownership got too high. But I definitely like him as a golfer for cash plays. I would be more interested in like in a, in a big GPP type. Um, other than that, you know, Siwu played well, you know, at the last tournament. He seems to be turning a corner. I do think this price is a little high for Siwu, but it looks like the ownership is coming in pretty low. So if he remains this low in ownership, then that's the type of uh, a swing I will take. Um, I'm, I, I'm interested in Harold Varner and Cameron Davis because those are guys that are going to have that distance that we're looking for. So if you are prioritizing distance, they should pop a bit. And they both, especially Varner's been in really good form. Uh, Davis form has been there too. I mean, he, he's made his last five cuts. He even has a, a top 10 here in his last outing. So um, I think he's definitely interesting. Um, and then the last one is Charlie Hoffman, who um, I think is definitely in play here. He's got three made cuts at this tournament, a top 10 in his last go. Uh, his He's been in good form as of recent. And I think, you know, if you, I actually, when I first looked at this, got confused because I was like, wait, didn't, wasn't Corey Connors 10K? I actually mixed up uh, Connors and Hoffman. So like to me, they're the same. Like they're very similar. If they if they swap places, I wouldn't have batted an eye. So getting a little bit of savings with with Hoffman here is uh is something I, I'd sign up for. How about you, Sia? What are you looking at here? 
Oh, I agree with you on Hoffman. I mean, it's it's not a sexy play. It's just it's one of those guys. He's a he's a great ball striker, and in a field like this, I don't think he's going to be particularly intimidated by the fact that guys like Sam Burns and Will Zalatoris are at the top. I mean, this is a good veteran ball striker who finished sixth year in twenty twenty one, twenty third in twenty twenty, and he's been okay his last few out. He's twenty second at the Fortinet, which is certainly nothing to celebrate. Thirty eighth at the BMW, twenty first at the Northern Trust. Um, you know, th- these are okay results, but again, we can sort of lean on the ball striking and the experience of Charlie Hoffman. If we go to the top, I, I do like Mito. What ownership are you seeing? Cause, cause my numbers might be different from yours. So my early look right now is as 21% right now. Okay. That's what I have also. Okay. I've got a little lower than that, but again, your, your numbers might be better than mine, but the point is he is going to be chalky. I mean, these numbers are probably going to creep up as, as the days go by. So I do like Mito though. I mean, he's so good off the tee. He's, he's so good on approach. I mean, he kind of like checks all the boxes, right? Uh, a, a young gun that could, add, I've already put in an outright. I've only put in, I think one outright so far, and it actually was Mito at uh, 33 to one. So uh, I like Keegan Bradley, same argument for uh, Charlie Hoffman as I do for Keegan Bradley. I just, I think he's a great ball striker, could sometimes fail with the putter, but we know bad putters can succeed here. So, and you know, Keegan's, I mean, He's usually a bad putter, but he's gained strokes putting before. I'll give you two other names. Uh, one you mentioned, Joel, Cam Davis. I think it's a nice setup for him. Uh, let's see. Looking at his course experience here, pretty good. You, you mentioned it. Sixth in 2021, 28th in 2020, miscut in 2019. I love seeing that trajectory where you're like, oh, first time out. Oh, I just missed the cut. And then boom, 28th, then boom, sixth. Like, I'm not saying it, he'll finish better than six, but like that's the type of trajectory I'm looking for. So I think he's going to be comfortable here. The only other guy I'll mention is Sebastian Munoz. Uh, again, a first place finish in 2020, 23rd in 2021. Miscut at the Fortinet. Prior to that, he was making cuts. He was finishing top 30. Um, finished fourth at the Olympics, which is pretty impressive. So um, I like him. I, but the thing is, here's the thing, Spencer, and I want you to sort of help me solve this problem. First of all, I, I like way too many guys in the 9K range. I can't play all like five guys I just mentioned. So I'll probably end up playing the ownership game. But before we get into the 8K range, I, I'd, I'd like to know maybe you, Spencer and Joel, like if you had to only pick two guys here, like who are those who are those two guys? And Spencer, uh, you can tell me tell me all the 9K guys you like, but but I just I, Joel and you too. I'm just I, I got like I just said five names. I can't play them all, so I, I need you guys to narrow it down for me. Well, with the way that I'm building my lineups, or at least that the majority of my lineups would be built, I think my favorite play in this section is Cameron Davis at 9,100. As you guys said, six here last year, which isn't the be all end all for a course that, as I stated, doesn't have great rollover effect. But his distance and birdie making prowess shows why he did find success. Um, he's under 10% owned right now with projections. He ranks fourth in my upside model. That total places him 22 spots higher than industry consensus. When I compare my rank versus his ownership projection, that is second highest of the players we've talked about so far behind only Sergio Garcia. So I like him. Um, I mean, if we're talking about other guys, I will say that Keegan Bradley at 9,700 and Cameron Tringali at 9,400 both feel fairly priced. I don't mind anyone who goes there. Uh, Charlie Hoffman at 9,000 technically was a value in my model, but he's currently the highest projected owned guy that I can find on the board at nearly 25%. Uh, right. For that reason, I probably prefer him as a cash play versus a GPP target. And then Mito Pereira at 9,900 is the elephant in the room here. Like him and Hoffman are likely going to be the two highest owned golfers in this entire tournament, but I'm more willing to work around his ownership than I am with Hoffman. Pereira is the number one golfer in my model for upside. Uh, through a limited sample size, he ranks second in this field in stroke gain approach, first in strokes gain total, fourth in long iron proximity. And he's also first in par five birdie or better percentage. I think you can get around the ownership um, in contest if you go certain routes with it, but I probably prefer him most in single entry, three max builds, things of that nature than these like super large field events. I think that if we start pushing 30% ownership with it, like that's where the problem comes in. And Mito has proven to be volatile. So for me, my favorite play is Cameron Davis. I mean, from there, it's kind of, I'm going to be doing a lot of dropping down into the $8,000 range. I think there's a lot of volatile guys in the $8,000 range, but I think that we're going to see people from that section are going to be in the lineups that probably win. And uh, it's just picking the right people at that point. I, you know, I'm laughing because see, uh, I was trying to come up with two, like just to answer your, your game. Yeah. I, I, the best I could do was three. And I gave you yeah. for, for cash, for all purposes, I like Cameron Davis as one. And then for cash, I would go Mito. For GPP, I would go uh, Varner. 
Oh, okay. Gotcha. And is it, how, how's Varner's ownership? I'm seeing around 10%. Is that what you guys are yeah, saying? I got nine. So yeah, right. Okay. I have 11. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like it. That was a good, that was a good segment. Let's head right down. Let's, let's move this right along. We'll go down to the 8K range here. Uh, and again, this is another one for me where I feel like there isn't a big difference with these guys. I'm, I'm thinking a lot of these guys are similar golfers uh, in the 9K range. So um, Spencer, you want to start us off here? Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you're trying to find a cash game play, my boy Seamus Power at 8,800 would be my preferred target. He has three top 30s at this course in his last four attempts. He's also made 11 cuts in a row. If I'm shooting for upside in a tournament type build, I think you can look in a few different places. My favorite target is Matthew Wolf at 8,500, who despite missing back-to-back cuts, grades as a top three play for me on my upside model. Wolf is a great scorer that excels with his distance and long irons. And this feels like the type of course where he can win the tournament. Uh, you know, I mentioned this on the Better Golf podcast that I did, but I bet him at 60 to one when that number first opened. It's obviously fallen a little bit, but what I like about him is, is that he has, yes, a very low floor, but his ceiling is that of a $10,000 golfer. Um, I realized that the ownership has doubled from five to 10% in the last 24 hours. I'm still fine playing him there. I'll keep an eye on, make sure it doesn't double again by the start of the event. But I think Wolf at $8,500 has a really high ceiling. I mean, I don't think it's going to shock anybody if he can come out and win the tournament. I also like Carlos Ortiz at $8,600. I keep waiting for his game to break out again, but two top fives here in the last three years shows he can handle the venue. And he's gained strokes with his irons in seven of his last nine and off the tee in his last five. Ortiz has quietly made 10 of his past 12 cuts, and it feels as if a big result might be around the corner for him again. And then my four wild cards would be Gary Woodland at 8,400, Aaron Wise at 8,300, Patton Kazire at 8,200, and Mateus Schwab at 8,000. Now, if Wise's numbers continue to trend to over 15%, I'm out. I'll I'll pivot elsewhere. I think that he's volatile enough that I don't need to get behind that. But Woodland's a second look because of his pedigree. Kazire always excels at these birdie fests. And Schwab is the contrarian dart throw here if you're looking to really separate a lineup. I'm uh, I'm surprised and so disappointed that you mentioned Wolf for this reason. I love Wolf, and I thought he was just, he's just an upside play. He's definitely a GPP play, but yes. I thought no one else was going to be on him. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to be different with Wolf. But it looks like I think other people are seeing the same thing, and this should be a good fit. He has the upside, so maybe he won't be as sneaky as I thought it was. But I'm I'm in agreement. I think Wolf again. He's an upside play. I wouldn't play him in cash games because he's very volatile, but. I think he if he puts it together this week, he can he can really compete, and I think the price is right on him here. Um, I'll kind of just go through the rest of my plays in this range. Uh, I like Shimon Powers a lot, both from a cash and GPP perspective. I think he's consistently just getting underpriced. Um, I think he could easily have been priced up. I really like Strillman this week. He's got a really nice history here. He's got three top 20s, a top five his last time out. Um, and this is, again, another field where, you know, there's not a big he doesn't have to compete against the Ryder Cup guys. So, you know, he's as good as, in my opinion, any of the golfers in this field. So I really like Streelman here. Um, like I said, I like Wolfric for his upside. And then as we get down to the bottom of this range, is where I'm, you know, I, I definitely see the value in some of these guys, but here's where I'm starting to say I can find similar talent at a lower budget. So I don't think I want to dive down. Wise maybe would have interest me, but at the ownership I'm seeing, I don't want to go there. And the other one is uh, Kazire, who I'm, I'd consider. I don't love him, but he's the only other guy down at the bottom of this range who I would look to. How about you, Sia? Who are you looking at here? I agree on Seamus Power. I, I like him quite a bit. I think Carlos Ortiz and GPPs, Carlos Ortiz and Matthew Wolf. I'll be looking at them. I'll probably looking. I'll probably be looking at a little bit more. Ortiz, because I suspect he'll be lower owned than Matthew Wolf, but we'll have to wait and see. I like Kazire, especially since he's usually errant off the tee, and that that shouldn't really hurt him this week. But when I look at his experience here, I mean, it doesn't. He did have a tenth place finish in 2018, but he also has two missed cuts and a 59th place finish. So that seems weird to me. I mean, I know what Spencer said at the from the outset in terms of it's not a sticky course; it's not always the same guys that are successful. But I would have thought from um, Pat and Kazire because he's such a birdie maker that I would have seen a little bit more consistency, maybe at least a little a little bit more by way of uh, the made cuts. I think the only other guy that I haven't discussed or we haven't discussed too much that I like in this range is uh, CT Pant. I just think he's going to be relatively low owned. And, and I think 
we're kind of just missing out on a guy that might actually be a good golfer. I don't think anybody thinks of CT Pan as like, oh, I got to play him this week. But he's been pretty good lately. He was sixth at the Fortinet. If you remember the Olympics, he, he finished third there behind Rory Sabatini, who was also in this tournament. And by the way, who's also done really well at this tournament in the past. Uh, and by the way, you know, CT Pan finished 12th here last year. So he's just, again, the type of guy that I think is going to go relatively ignored that can really sort of help out your, your GPP lineups. I'm with you. I think it's a, I think that's a good and an interesting play. I like it. Um, all right. Well, listen. Let's let's keep this train trucking. Uh, we we gotta go. We gotta get the compliment train out here. So Wes Bearden, thanks for the comment. Thanks for watching, Joel. For everybody who doesn't know, there's not a lot of college football content out there. We addressed it at the beginning of the show, but just so everybody knows, on our YouTube channel and at Wind Daily Sports on Twitter at WindDailySports.com. You know, if you want to go to the video hub on the website. Uh, it's not hard to find. Eight o'clock on Friday night, Joel does a college football show, and he was very successful with it because the following day, what did you win, Joel? I won an entry into the fantasy golf, fantasy golf, fantasy college football world championship. So, four K entry. Right. So, uh, really impressive stuff. I caught it uh, Friday night as well, and I didn't play because I was I just got too busy. But I'm definitely going to be playing uh, this weekend. So, and no, Wes, I didn't go to Baylor. You can't tell, but that's an RG3 uh, signed helmet. He obviously went to Baylor. I went to James Madison University in Virginia undergrad. And let's see, we have a, maybe is this a question from Ivan? I have one build currently starting at at 8K range. Do you guys think that's a good play since the 9K and 8K ranges are similar? So I guess he's saying he's starting his build in the 8K range. What do you guys think? Yeah, like I said before, I think that's okay. I'm going to be, I'll have some lines similar to that. Um, Listen, there's not like a, there's no right or wrong answer. You can play especially if you're doing a bigger field any way you want. I don't think this is a field where it's like there's any must-play guys. But, uh, yeah, I, I certainly think you can do that. That wouldn't be a, a, something I would tell you not to do. Yeah, and I think when you look at it, like, as we've all mentioned with it, like, there's just not a huge difference between the $8,000 and $9,000 section. So, I mean, for me, Cameron Davis is the one play I like in the 9,000s, but even still, I mean, if you made them like $8,300, it wouldn't shock anybody. So I think you can get a unique build going that way. And I think that's a, another way to try to pivot your exposure into different areas and with a different build. So I wouldn't talk anybody out of that either. Yeah. And for the record, if you did start with Cam Davis, I mean, you're only going 100, you know, or 200 beyond the 8K range. So I, I actually think if you're going to try to build like that, I think Cam Davis is a pretty good starting point. I'm I'm totally with you. So uh we're gonna we're gonna drop down into the seven K range. I'm gonna start us here because I have an interesting kind of thing to bring up. So I want to be transparent in that. I don't use my like model, if you will, as diligently as Spencer would with his data and kind of uses his rankings to really pick his plays. I use a model just to kind of point me in the right direction, and then I try to kind of pick my golfer. So with all that being said, I did run a model this week just for this course, and it just so happens to be that Joseph Bramlett ended up being number one. So like I said, I don't put too much weight on that, but he did become number one. I think it's probably because he has some good distance and I, and I weighted distance a good amount. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have my shares of him because he ended up being the, the number one guy that, that had spit out. Uh, I don't really like fully love him. I'm not going to be overweight, but uh, he'll be someone that I'll be putting into a few lineups this week. And then as I go down into this range, uh, some guys that I'm intrigued by, you know, and, and like keep this in mind, just because driving distance is important and it's a helpful thing this week, that does not mean you can only play long hitters, right? Mm-hmm. That just means we want to prioritize long hitters. They win the tiebreakers. We want to, you know, maybe give some guys that we, when we want to play a chance because they're a long hitter. But there will be guys in the top 10 and 20 that aren't long hitters that are just going to have a good week playing golf. So, you know, make sure you do, you know, take that into account and not just trying to say I have to only play long hitters. So, with that being said, I do think that Ch- Ches Reby could be interesting. Um, I think he's been in pretty good form. He's got two top 30s and a, and a 31st place in his last four tournaments. Um, other than that, you know, I like Luke List because he can crush it, and we've seen him pop this year. He's just he's so hit or miss. I would really reserve List for GPPs opposed to uh, cash games. And then I, I really like the bottom of this range more, and I'll just kind of list off some of the guys I'm looking at. From Lanto Griffin, who I just love. He's just so low-owned. I think uh, at that ownership, he can someone that can definitely compete here. Uh, Joel Dahman, I think, is interesting. Um, Lucas Herbert, I would play. Um, you know, he's not doesn't have as much experience in the U.S. as the other guys, but 
he's a really good golfer and, and maybe that that might be a good thing for these purposes as he's not on everyone's radars as some of these others guys are uh and and last but not least our last two will be brent snedeker and brandon Steele. now Steele, i'm concerned about because what we've seen recently has not been great uh but we know he is a a, a history and a and the caliber of being as good as some of these top tier guys. So you got to hope he catches lightning in a bottle this week because we're not going on precinct form, but I do think he has the upside to compete here. So uh, Spencer, why don't we go to you next? Who do you like in this range? I want to touch on one thing you just said with it. And I think it's a very interesting point that you brought up because like, let's just take the distance argument this week. If we were going to only play distance guys, or if that was the plan to only play distance guys, then you would just run a hundred percent distance model and you would miss everything else that's going on. And that's the problem with it is like models are meant to be built in a way where you give yourself in and outs of it. So you're going to build it in a way that's not so abrasive to where there's only one, you know, certain style of play. Like, as you can see with mine, I have par five birdie or better percentage. I have overall birdie or better percentage. I have proximity numbers. I have obviously distance that's going into play with it. The one time that sometimes you can look at one stat and try to hone in on it would be in the $6,000 range. If you're trying to dart throw down there, maybe you find a good putter and you think that this is a putting tournament. You find a putter that maybe the stats didn't register out correctly, but you know he's a good putter. And if he gets hot with the putter, he can do well. If he's good with his driver, maybe he gets hot with the driver and he goes well with that. So I just wanted to touch on that. I mean, as far as the $7,000 range goes, I think it kind of defeats the purpose on my end to say like play all the high end guys and then give countless $7,000 golfers. So I will give three, uh, I will name a couple other wild cards that I am at least looking a little bit more into, but I liked Keith Mitchell at 7,800. I think off the tee is going to matter. As I keep saying, I think distance is going to matter. And despite ranking 95th in my model and strokes gain approach, he is 25th overall in proximity from over 200 yards. I like Taylor Pendrith at 7,800. We still don't have enough data from him to form a concrete opinion, but he looks like the real deal from the limited sample size that we do have. He ranks first in both distance and strokes gain off the tee in this field. And while I do have some concerns about his long irons, the par five scoring has been brilliant. And then I really like Luke List from a GPP perspective at 7,500. The stats are trending better than the current form looks on paper. And it's the same blueprint I'm trying to find over and over again. Give me distance give me long iron play and the ability to score at these critical part, uh, these critical five holes. I think list is, you know, he plays big boy golf compared to a lot of these guys. So I think if that comes into play, those are my three preferred guys. I mean, those are mostly GPP plays. I think Pendrith surprisingly, I wouldn't mind playing him everywhere. Mitchell and list would be GPP only. And then as I mentioned, a flyer or two here, I think Chad Rainey burned everyone in his last start at the Fortinet, but he makes some sense to go back to at sub 5% ownership. He's priced as an $8,000 golfer, essentially, when we look at the top 20 market. And then uh, to me, David Lipsky at $7,200. So he's an American that was playing primarily on the European tour for a few years and then decided to move to the Corn Ferry last year to gain a PGA Tour card. He is extremely boomer bust. That would be GPP only, but I don't mind fitting him into some builds down beneath. But uh, for the most part, it will be the first three guys I mentioned. Maybe a little bit of Ramey Lipsky would be the last one that I maybe will fit into somewhere. And then it's going to be garbage picking in the $6,000 range for me. I like it, Spencer. Uh, Sia, who are you looking at in the 7K range? Oh, no. Sia, we can't hear you. Sorry about that. Um, I, I Okay, so I was saying I like Luke List a lot. Um, I, I think – the ball striking is going to be there. It's always the putter that kind of does him in. So I think uh, I think this is the right course fit for him. So I'm definitely, even though the metrics don't look very good and, and certainly the finishing positions lately don't look very good, or even at this course, I, this is one of those where like I'm willing to just kind of buck the trends and say, hey, I, I think Luke List is a good golfer. He should be okay here. So I like him. I, I like Patrick Rogers. He's been pretty good recently. I think he has the upside to be successful here. Just a few other names. Uh, Henrik Norlander, uh, a guy that, you know, Joel, you remember before Spencer was doing the show with us, we liked him like a you know a year and a half ago. And we were like, man, Henrik Norlander, this is like new kid in town or whatever. And then he was bad. 
for a while. And, and I think he's sort of starting to, to make a little comeback here. So um, I, I like, I mean, he's going, he's going to be good off the tee. And uh, I just, I just like his game here. Putter can kind of get in his way sometimes, but again, I'm willing to overlook that here. Uh, a few other names are Chad Ramey and Lipsky. I, I think I like both of those guys. Chad Ramey did burn me. I think he's from Mississippi. I'm pretty sure he went to Mississippi state. Uh, is that really going to help him? I'm not sure, but, but I suspect he's probably more familiar with this course than, than some of the guys. So one guy I want to, and again, I do like David Lipsky. Uh, one guy I want, two guys I wanted to ask you about actually. Uh, Matthew Wallace rates out pretty well in my model, and nobody's talking about him. And he's seventy one hundred. It seems like a great value. Scott Stallings is the other guy who's had some success recently, and I think he's had some success on this course. Uh, but Matt Wallace is the one I'm really intrigued by. Um, do either of you two have any sort of comments about him? Yeah, I, I thought about Matthew Wallace a lot. I think that's a really interesting one for this reason. I think as an overall golfer profile, Matthew Wallace is better than his price tag. He is a would be in a higher tier than what we're getting here. Um, I don't like what I've seen from him recently. There's not a lot telling me to play him right now, which is kind of why I didn't mention him. But as the overall player, it, it is, I guess, fair to him. It is similar to – no, I think he's even better. He's a better golfer than Luke List, right? But mm -hmm. uh, I think Luke List might be just like – because he's a long hitter and, and he – has more of that like one week he pops type thing than, than maybe Matt Wallace. Whereas like, I feel like there's a higher likelihood Matt Wallace gets you like a top 20. Whereas I feel like Luke List has the more winning the tournament upside. Um, but I agree with you in that. I think Matthew Wallace is as good of a golfer as a lot of these guys in the 8K range and he's priced down here. So if there's a value there. It's just the recent form for me isn't there. Yeah. And, and I agree with most of those things also. Like I didn't mention him for a couple of different reasons with it but you know on my model with the way i'm running it uh the recent form is not as bad as you would think i mean i guess in fairness he hasn't played a whole bunch of golf over here in the last little bit but second over his last 24 rounds in strokes gained t to green i mean i think that's something to look at the approach numbers look pretty good on my end and he's been a really good donald ross player in the past he ranks 21st in my model over the last 50 rounds there. So I agree with what like the sentiment that both of you guys have with it. He's just a player that his upside is better than a $7,100 golfer. And I mean, I think you can make that same argument about like Brant Snedeker at $7,200. And mm -hmm. uh, the one thing I will say that Joel mentioned previously, and I'm, I'm, I do this sometimes, you know, unfortunately, like I get caught up to my model of, I build the model and I don't deviate away from what I have on it. And Sometimes you just have guys like Snedeker and Wallace that maybe they're grading as negative plays for me, but you dive into it a little bit more and it's like, oh, well, you know, Wallace has the pedigree to find success here. And I agree, like on the surface, he's a better golfer than Luke List. I don't know if he's a better fit for this course necessarily. I think List has more upside to win the tournament, but yeah, I, I agree. Like if he comes in the top 25, it's not going to shock anybody. You know what's interesting? So he's at 7,100 and Matthias Schwab is at 8,000. I don't think many people are going to be playing Matthias, but let's just assume for the sake of argument that Matt, Matthew Wallace and Matthias switch places and, and Wallace was 8,000 and Schwab was 7,100. Still not many people would play, play Schwab, but I honestly think psychologically it would register to people that Wallace is a good golfer and they'd be like, oh yeah, I'll pay 8,000 for, for Matt Wallace. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So I just think it's it, he's getting buried so far down that I think it's convincing people like, hey, this is just a really bad golfer. Because in this field, 7,100 is kind of garbage. To your point about Brant Snedeker too, he should probably be higher as well. And so I, I just think what we might be getting like a little bit of a gold mine here with, with Matthew Wallace. Of course, he could completely bust, but I mean, you can make that argument about probably 70% of the people in this tournament. So I, I don't know. I, it's just, it's just funny to me that like, you're right. His metrics don't look that bad. He hasn't played a lot lately. He's been on a long break. We usually like that about golfers. Like people who have been on a long break, they, they tweak a couple things, they come back. And I just wouldn't be surprised at all. If this guy's contending, I just wouldn't be. I totally agree with your statement that I think if he was, price in the AK range, I actually think his ownership would be higher. Because I think people would see there's a higher value in him because you know that's where he's there's a reason he's pranked in race in this team. He's a better golfer than that. I think because he's down there, people are like, oh he's garbage. He's in the side. He's no good. Not <laughs> only that, but they'd think the 8K is a better deal than the 7100 Because they'd be like, oh yeah, he's good. Like oh 8K that, that's that's actually he's he's kind of low. But 7100 is like oh he, he's he's just a bad golfer. Like that's I don't know. I'll give you a one one more extreme example but that happened this week in college football the top-priced quarterback was SMU's quarterback. And it was mm -hmm. the top-priced player on the slate. And I looked at it, and I was like, 
maybe he should be a mid-tier quarterback. He should not be the highest price quarterback. Say, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to play the most money for this guy. He ended up being like 20% out. And it was because he was, people just looked at him like, well, if he's the highest priced guy, he mm-hmm. must be the best. So let me go play him. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. It was just because he had that price tag. I think we just looked at him like, well, he must be good because they cost the most. I'm going to get him in my laps. And I and, think you're right. I think people see it that way. And for the record, he was garbage, right? I don't think SMU scored a ton of points. Game. Yes, he did not. Have right. Game. Yeah. So that was your point exactly, right? It was just yeah. be, people, it does. It messes with your mind. You see the price tag and you're like, oh, okay, this guy must be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. That was good. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. Let's, uh, all right, let's wrap this up. I think, uh, we're heading down to this bottom tier here into the six K range. And I know Spencer, you mentioned, you know, this is where you're rounding out your lineups, especially if you're going big up top. So start us off, Spencer, who are you looking at down here in the six K range? Yeah. So I'm going to rapid fire through this range because I do have a lot of golfers to discuss. So Grayson Sig at 6,900, He is the eighth best golfer in my model for this field when it comes to current form over the past 10 weeks. His GIR percentage and long iron play might leave something to be desired, but we are just trying to find potential when we get here. And Sig has shown early in his career that he can make birdies. I think that's something that's going to propel him here. Hudson Swafford, 6,900. He's another guy that burned a lot of people at the Fortinet Championship, but I didn't really like that venue for him. I think this is a much more conducive property for him. Three top 40s in his last four PGA Tour tournaments. Good Bermuda player that excels off the tee. I like Kevin Toy a lot at 6,800. Five top 30s in his last seven. Seven made cuts in his last eight. We have seen Toy excel before on these driver-friendly tests. Like the one we kind of just got at the Fortinet Championship. He won that tournament in 2018. I think he's going to be able to bomb it off the tee. I think his form is trending in the right direction. John Augenstein at 6,700. My model loves him for how he started... um, his career on that. Now, if we look at some of the early stuff, he missed a bunch of cuts, but he's trending in the right direction with three straight good finishes in a row. Uh, he was ranked fourth as an amateur, uh, finished second behind Andy Ogletree for low amateur during the 2020 masters. So I think there's pedigree there. Uh, and if we want to just really dart throw this, and this is a guy that I don't ever really play. I, I did get caught on him a couple weeks ago, unfortunately, but Dylan Fratelli at 6,600, 23rd for driving distance. He's proven to be a golfer that randomly pops out of nowhere at under 1%. I think you can do worse than him as a volatile dart throw. I mean, off the tee courses are usually where he is his best at. And then if we're talking about like these course specific type things, if we're looking at putters, I would say Andrew Putnam at 6,600, Peter Malnati at 6,500. If we're looking at distance off the tee, I think Tyler McCumber, Brandon Hagee, Wyndham Clark, those are guys that can excel in that area. I like Anurban Lahiri at 6,200, four made cuts in his last five. He has two top 45s here and ranks 29th in my statistical model. And then I like what I see from Davis Thompson at 6,100. He ascended to number one in the world amateur golf rankings on November 11th, 2020. And again, on March 9th, 2021, Uh, we're still waiting for his robust finish, but four of his five cuts on tour, he's made since the rocket mortgage. So I, as I said, I mean, that's a lot of people to decipher through there. I think Sig makes a whole bunch of sense. I think Toy is going to be somebody I have. And then it's just kind of finding specific skill sets and players that fit the best. Like Putnam and Malnati will make more sense with some lineups than McCumber, Hagee, and Clark will. And it's kind of just trying to narrow it down from there for me. I like it. Yeah, that's, I think that was a pretty, uh, a pretty deep breakdown. And, and that allows you, now you have like a pool of players where if you do want, to go up and grab some of those 10K guys, grab a couple of them. There's plenty of guys down here that you can round out your lineup with. Uh, how about you, Sia? Who are you looking at down here? Yeah, a few guys. Um, I, I love all – I mean, I, I'm going to have to maybe get some shares of Grayson Sig and Kevin Tway. I, I like the arguments there. I, I'm curious, Spencer, are you on Sahith Tagal at all? I know you, you you dropped some knowledge on him a couple weeks back with us. Uh, he grades really well in my spreadsheet. He's 25th overall. I mean, I guess I have a couple concerns with him, and – the data is so limited with it that I don't want to get caught up on these things. But like, I didn't like his overall birdie or better percentage numbers. Uh, like he's the number one golfer for me in overall bogey avoidance, but that's not what I'm looking to find at this track. I, I think he's okay at $6,800. I mean, he's under 5% owned numbers grayed out as a positive value, but um, I'm probably not going to play a ton of him. I would rather go to Grayson Sig or Kevin Tway if like forced to decide between it, but I'm not going to tell anybody like not to play him. Like he's 25th overall, 33rd for upside, 23rd for safety. Maybe this is me not 
living with my model as much as I'm saying, like I always do with it, but just kind of had a bad feeling with him more than anything. Fair enough. Yeah. And a couple of the guys I like, um, so Roy Sabatini, he's got a really good track record here and his recent form is good. Uh, in 2021, he was 12th, 2019, 20th, and he had a made cut 57th place uh, finish in, I believe, 2017. So he's been 10th and second over his last two. Of course, that second place was at the Olympics. Uh, certainly not a good, quote, course fit. But again, with that type of experience and course history, uh, it's hard for me to ignore that. Um, going down the list here, I think Adam Shank, this is a guy I kind of typically like more than most. He's played here four times and he's made the cut four times. And uh, one of those is a top 10 finish. He finished seven. So uh, a, a guy, I mean, he, he can be a little bit erratic, uh, but I, I don't think that's going to be a huge problem with him here. Other guys that can be erratic that I like, but that are really good off the tee. Uh, Spencer mentioned one of them. It's Wyndham Clark. Uh, these guys are really low in the 6K range, by the way. And Brandon Hagee. Hagee can pop here and there. He's just one of those guys. He, he, he'll, he'll either just completely miss the cut or you'll see him somewhere in the top 20. And he can absolutely mash off the tee. So that's another guy I like here. I want to ask you guys a question. Did you know that there is a golfer in this tournament who is below 6,500, is coming at less than 1% owned, and has played here at least three occasions and has never done worse than 20th? I did not know that. This person's name is... 6100 is what he's going to cost. His name is Sung Yul No. Oh, wow. And we've met him on the show before. And yeah. in, fairness, in the name of transparency, uh, the last time he's even played here is in 2017. So it's been a while. It's not like it was the last three years that he's done that. But he's played here three times, never been worse than T20. Um, he's actually got a, a top 10 in 2017 and 14th before that. So he's horrible off the tee, which is actually right for this course is probably a good thing because. You know, it's almost like neutralizing his biggest weakness. Even if he's not finding, you know, fairways, he should be okay. So, um, you know, it's something to think about. I think at 6,100, you don't, you know, put all your money on him. But I think someone who's clearly had some success here at that low of a price, I think he's interesting. And then going back up to the top, I think there's plenty of value plays to be had here. Uh, someone who we liked a lot earlier in the year, who's cooled off a bit, is Camilo Viegas, who's got two top 30s here, uh, tied for 23 last year. Um I think Denny McCarthy is interesting in his last three outings. And and for Denny, it is the last three years. He's got three top 20s and two top 10s, uh, which, again, I think is pretty interesting. So I think especially when we get down to the 6K range, I value course history more because now we're looking at guys who maybe aren't the best golfers, but they, they see something here. So I will kind of put a little bit extra boost on that. Another guy, I'm not sure if you guys mentioned, I know uh, Sia has mentioned him on previous weeks. I like Sam Ryder. Sam Ryder is a guy who – you know, he's not a great putter, and that is definitely his biggest weakness. But when he gets it, when he's ball striking, he is a good ball striking. He can, he's as good of a ball striker as anyone. So that I feel good about for him. It's just a matter of can he make some putts this week. And if he can, I, I think he can certainly compete this week. So I like him there. Uh, Brian Stewart is someone we've been mentioning at, at this price. I think he's in play. Um, and there was one other guy down here I wanted to mention before we kind of kick this up into the betting area. Uh, I may have lost him. So, oh, JT Poston. Uh, I think JT Poston's interesting. Let's not forget, he got second. I know that was like a Barbasol JV tournament with him and Seamus Power. That was you know a couple months ago. But he almost won that tournament. Um, he was third here in 21. He is 11th and 20. So he's got – and he's never missed the cut. So he's there's something about this course he likes. And he's another one of those guys that when he is puts it all together, he's got some upside. So uh, I think JT Poston at what's looking like – you know, not very high ownership. I guess for this range, it's relatively high ownership, about 7%. Um, but at 6,600, I think is someone who would be in play as well. Uh, Joel, can I say three things to what you just said? Because I have yep. three points to bring up to it. So the first point would be, I think Poston and McCarthy, like those are two other guys to throw into that putter category that's cheap down in this range. Like throw them to that group of guys that I mentioned before. And I think they make a lot of sense. Uh, Sam Ryder was somebody who popped in my model. The only reason why I didn't mention him, uh, he has missed his last three cuts here since 2016. That's at least worrisome. And then Sung Yul No, I believe I am correct on this because Sung Yul No was a pretty good player a handful of years ago. And I believe that he had the Sung J M problem, the Si Woo Kim problem, and he went over for military service. So I don't know when he came back 
I don't know how fresh this is with that. I guess that would be my only concern with him. But if he's able to regain his form, he's a better player than like a $6,100 golfer for sure. You are right. He was, and and he has struggled. He's That happened. He did his service, and he's come back and has not been as good as he was before. Uh, he hasn't found that. Uh, but again, this is me just saying at 6,100 at no ownership, a guy who's never done worse than 20th year, yeah. always something to consider. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. All right. I like it. I like it. So down to where we make uh, our bets. Let's move it over to the first. We'll start with the outright card. We'll give us the outrights. And then, of course, we'll finish with the first round leader. So, um, Spencer, do you want to kick off the outright cards? Yeah. So I have six people this week on my outright card. Um, I really wanted to play Sungjae and I just couldn't get around to it. And so I have Will Zalatoris at 18 to one. You know, one of the arguments that I made on the better golf pod, I guess, against this would be you don't really want to be living in this sub 30 to one range for a guy who's never won on tour before. But I think Zalatoris has the pedigree to where he is in a different caliber than everybody else. I don't think it would be a shock to anybody if in like two to three years, you know, he's a top five player in the world. So I think Zalatoris, it's he's going to win at some point. I think if we're going to say that putting is negated here, I think him and Sergio are the two guys that get the biggest boost for that. So I have Zalatoris at 18 to one. I have Keith Mitchell at 70 to one. Uh, I got a number on Carlos Ortiz at 50 to one. That's fallen a little bit since then. I have a number on Luke List at 100 to one, which has fallen to 80 to one. Um, Cameron Davis at 35 to one. And while I realize this is another number that's unfortunately fallen, I actually still like it where it's at. I got Matthew Wolf at 60 to one. I, I think he's a fine play at any really number. If you search the offshore market, uh, you can find a number closer to that 60s, a little bit less than that at the legal sports books. But one of the things I said on the Better Golf Pod is, is if you remove the current form from his game, he's a golfer that should be in the high 20s. So I think there's a whole bunch of value for Wolf. So Salatoris, Mitchell, Ortiz, List, Davis, and Wolf for me are my six. I like it. I like it. See, who are you looking at in the outright market? So I'm going to give four guys out here, and I'll give five first-round leaders. Uh, Mito Pereira and Keegan Bradley, both are at 35-1. to one. Uh, I think both of those guys can win here. I expect them to contend. C.T. Pan at 65-1 to one and Luke List at 80-1. to one. All right. I like it. So uh, I have a little overlap. I also have List at 80-1. to one. Um, my big long shot that I like here is Nick Taylor at 100 to one. Um, and my favorite, more likely scenario type winner that I'm going to take is Harold Varner at 35 to one. Um, that's it for the outright card. Now, Sia, how do we become rich? There's a first round leader. Uh, I think it's a staple, but I just (laughs) happen to follow you on Twitter because you have brilliant takes. So I already know who you're going to say, but the fans who maybe don't follow you on Twitter, they get to learn now for the first time. But before we get into that, Spencer, why don't you kick us off with your first round leader, please? Yeah, let's leave the floor for CA here. (laughs) I mean, he's the one that's going to make us all the money on the first round leaders. But uh, I also have uh, six for this too. So I have Luke List at 70 to one. I have Matthew Wolf at 60 to one. I have Carlos Ortiz at 55 to one. Cam Davis at 50 to one. Keith Mitchell at 75 to one. So a lot of overlap there. Uh, the only one that I missed was Alatoris. And then I have John Augenstein at a hundred to one. I like it. I like it. So for me, um, I'm just going to, I'm going to nail a few plays. I think Dylan Fratelli at a hundred to one is interesting. I also like Denny McCarthy at a hundred to one. Um, and then I'll get a little bit of lower odds. I think JT Poston could be an interesting first round leader at 90 to one. And my last first-round leader play closer to a more competitive player in going back to Harold Farner at 45. To I love that card, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, see ya. Now tell me. I'm ready to put every penny I made uh, over the last year all onto this first-round leader play so I can instantly become rich. Who, who am I putting it on? Well, um, I just want to say you're welcome to everybody. Because I think you are really in for a treat. But a precondition to enjoying this treat is for everyone listening and everyone listening, tell all your friends, empty out your bank account, borrow money from your friends, and you got to put all your money 
on the absolute lock first round leader. But before I get to that, I want to talk about a few guys that I think are going to contend with this person. I'll start with Cam Davis at 45 to one, Sebastian Munoz and Carlos Ortiz at 50 to one. They were almost the breaking news, by the way, but I settled on the guy that I called out on Twitter on Monday. Um, Matthew Wolf at 55 to one. Listen, I don't really trust Matthew Wolf can be good for four rounds, but we saw even recently he, he can be great for one and he can be great on, on the first round as well. So Matthew Wolf at 55 to one. So that's four. And by the way, I do like Keith Mitchell. I'm going to add him to my card among, among others that you both said, but the breaking news that I'm delivering at 9.08 PM Eastern standard time on September 28th, 2021 is that on September 30th, 2021, after round one is over at the Sanderson farms championship, your first round leader, who, by the way, finished fourth place here just last year, and who was starting to strike it a little bit better, is none other than the big man, Henrik Norlander, at 100, that's triple digits, folks, 100 to one, that's your first round leader. You're welcome, America. So see, if I put all of my money and then mortgage my home and also put all of that onto Henrik Norlander, that's a safe bet, right? It's a super safe bet. It's okay. so it's okay. so safe okay. that that I'd yeah. like you to try to figure out how to get maybe a second mortgage on that home, maybe simultaneously or with a different bank. Just you know, figure it out. Yeah. Because you know what? All you have is regret when you don't pick the second mortgage and then it hits and you're like, I could have just had all that more money that I just didn't take. Uh, I mean, Joel, I believe they call it seizing the day. And the day is here to be seized. They well, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'll tell you that, right? That's no, not going to be the mistake I make. So, no, sir. <laughs> I'll, see, I, I, the only thing I can – there's only one thing left at this point, right? Yeah, there, there's only one thing left other than, hey, everybody, hit the like button. Don't forget to do that. Um, and some HV3 shade from Wes. Listen, <laughs> here's here's the thing. We're back to normal golf. It's football season. Baseball season's wrapping up. We got the playoffs going on. Before we know it, hockey's about to start. NBA's probably going to start in a couple months. I have no idea, frankly. But uh, I'm looking forward to all of the... What are we looking forward to? Sports. Sports. That's right. Enjoy the Sanderson, folks. <laughs>